All right, well, let's get to the program here. Um, uh, the the bio says that you were a former satanic wizard. How did that all start? How did you get involved with that? Well, it started with um, it, it's a long story actually. Well, we got time. I wasn't a wizard until I was twenty one, but I got involved in magic when I was ten. So you know, there's a few steps to get to be the high wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I had a burning desire. I mean, watching all the movies that had magic in them and I had a burning desire to see if magic worked. And I asked my parents and my Baptist preacher and everybody said that magic was fake. It was just things in movies. Now, as a side note here, there's magical things mentioned in the Bible about 33 times and God is always telling you not to do it. Why would God tell you not to do it if it was impossible to do it? Like, if you couldn't tell a lie, thou shalt not lie wouldn't be in the Ten Commandments. If it was impossible to kill, thou shalt not kill wouldn't be in there either. So, you know, and in the Old Testament, you're stoned to death. In the New Testament, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. So, you know, there's all these warnings against it. But apparently my Baptist preacher and my parents didn't read any of those things. You know, they just said, no, movie magic is just movie magic. It, you know, sleight of hand, illusion, it's not real. So I thought, you know, what if I could do magic in real life? Then I would know something that my parents don't know. Because in 10 years, I had learned that my parents are not right about everything. You know, they mm-hmm. tell me some information sometimes, and then I find out that they're completely wrong. You know, so I was like, all right, so I'm going to try something in real life. And um, at the same time as uh, that is happening, and I'm watching all these movies that have magic in them, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm always the, the wizard or the sorcerer in that. And magic always works in that, but magic works in there because you're rolling a 20-sided die, and if you get 15 or higher you know, the higher your number, the more accuracy you get in your magic spell. Well, I mean, that's not real magic. I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're making something up on the spot and rolling a dice, you know, and seeing what happens. Um, then I'm also playing uh, the Bloody Mary game at school. And that was the first day of class in the fifth grade. This kid told me to meet him in the bathroom at the first break. You know, and I was like, all right, you know, we don't have the Internet back then. You know, it's 1976. And um, I met him in the bathroom at the first break at 1020 a.m. And there's about 49 other kids in the bathroom, boys and girls. We walk in, turn on the light, and he says, you're going to chant this phrase. I'm going to teach you the phrase. We're going to chant it 11 times. And if you do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will show up in the mirror. All right. I don't know if that sounds plausible or not. You know, I'm 10 years old. I'd never heard of anything like that. So this guy turns out the light. We chanted the phrase, scary face appears in the mirror, and 49 kids ran screaming out of the bathroom. One child, he's an idiot, and I can call him an idiot because it was me, stood there thinking, this is the coolest thing in the world. I chanted this phrase 11 times, and I made this scary face appear. Now, you know, at 10 years old, you're not the sharpest tack. You're not realizing that if you're seeing it in the mirror, it's not in the mirror. It's standing next to you. 
So I apparently have a demon standing right next to me that I can see the reflection of in the mirror. Now, we eventually had notes sent home and said that if we were caught playing this at school, we'd be suspended for three days. Now, not because the school worried about our spiritual health. It was that kids got really badly injured in their haste to exit the bathroom. I mean, like broken arm, broken leg hurt. And so they didn't want lawsuits to happen, so they sent these notes home. And I had to take this note to my dad, who at that time was about 5'9 and maybe close to 300 pounds. And he'd been a sniper in the Marines, so... You know, my dad was very scary to me. And so I went into the den and handed him the note. You know, sometimes he just signed them and handed them back, but sometimes he didn't. And this day he didn't. He sat there and he read it. And then he asked me in his normal loving tone, have you been playing this game? (laughs) So being terrified of my dad as I was, I told him the absolute truth. No. And so I wouldn't get caught at school. I started playing the game at home. Now the difference was when I played at school, I played once a day. But when I started playing it at home, I'd get up in the morning, I'd go to the bathroom and play the game. I'd wash my hands, I'd play the game. I'd brush my teeth, I'd play the game. You know, I'd go out and I'd get dressed, I'd go have breakfast, I'd come back in the bathroom, I'd play the game. I'd brush my teeth again, I'd play the game. Maybe go to the bathroom one more time, play the game, leave for school. So I get to school, you know, you're there for a normal day, I come back home. My parents generally were not home, they were working. So while they're gone, until they get home, I'm playing the game 25, 30, 35, 40, 50 times. Every time I play it, scary face appears. Now it doesn't talk to me, it doesn't move, it just is there. It's not communicating with me, but it's there. And it did look like the spirit of a burn victim. But the reality of the game is that it's not a game, it's a spell. To make a spell work, you need intention, repetition, and demonic presence. So we had demonic presence because it kept showing up. You know, the people that say, we've played the game a lot and nothing's ever happened, praise God, that meant there wasn't a demon present. Because if the demon's present, he'll show up. So I'm doing that, and I'm playing D&D, and now I'm beginning to wonder... Can I do a magic spell in real life? We had books on magic in the library, but I had learned that if you look at the wrong book or check out the wrong book, the librarian would call my dad and tell him he's interested in something that maybe he shouldn't be. And then my dad would search through my books and tell me to take these back to the library. Now, to me, it wasn't bad books that I was involved in. Even now, I wouldn't have thought these were bad books. And I heard about uh, Nikolai Tesla in school in the fourth grade. And I was so fascinated by him, by the stories I heard, I checked out two or three books on him in the library. And when I got home, my dad wanted to know what books I had because the librarian called him. So I, I showed him the books. I thought he'd be happy. You know, and I explained why I wanted to read them. And he told me to take these books back. They, they weren't good for me. And so I still don't know why. So, and now it's too late because my dad's dead. But, um, so I knew better than to, than to check these books out at the library and I just read them at the library and it was books on magic and I was looking for a spell and I couldn't find one. I wanted something that isn't going to hurt somebody else. So like, you know, I don't like PE, but I don't want to hurt my coach. 
I don't like the pop quiz I get every Friday, but I don't want to hurt my teacher. I just want something where that I benefit, no one else gets hurt, and it proves that magic is real. So we do spells for money in D&D all the time. So I thought, I'm going to do a spell for money and see what happens. So I did a spell for money, and that was on a Friday. On Saturday, I went out to play, and I found a can of tennis balls with a $5 bill in it. And I thought, all right, that's pretty cool. I mean, the, the things that mean the most to me are candy bars. They're 15 to 20 cents. Uh, comic books, they're 15 to 20 cents. And penny candy, which is a penny. You know, those same penny candies are now 25 to 50 cents each. Right. Which is insane to me. You know, they used to be a penny. My dad said when he was a kid, those pieces, those penny pieces of candy were 10 pieces of candy for a penny. So... But that could have been a coincidence. Somebody had to find that can of tennis balls. So the next Friday, I did the spell again, and I went outside to play the next day, and I found a $10 bill in the grass, side of the road. I was like, wow, $15, eight days? That's pretty cool, but this still could have been a coincidence. So the following Friday, I did it again, but this time I did it in the bathroom at home. My parents weren't home. I did the spell in the bathroom, Halfway into the spell, I did the Bloody Mary chant. This face appears, and I make sure that it knows that I'm doing a spell for money. And I finished out the spell, and then I turned out the lights, and I left. You know, I went to, went to bed that night. Next day, I went out to play. And I was in um parking lot, unpaved, and something caught my eye off in the distance. And I ran off to see what that was. Now, there was nothing there to catch my eye but I found what looked like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. So I put that in my pocket and went about playing. Later that night, everybody had had their bath or their showers. Everybody's in their pajamas. Everybody's in their own bed. Everybody's going to sleep because we've got church the next day. And I'm sitting in my room under a sheet with a uh, flashlight in my mouth, unraveling my treasure. Now, when I unraveled all the rubber bands, it looked like Monopoly money because I'd never seen a $100 bill. And when I unraveled all of them, I had 10 $100 bills. So that's 1976, everything I want's dirt cheap, and I'm worth $1,000. We didn't have Lotto or Powerball back then, but if we had, I would have felt like I won. Now, to put it in perspective for anybody listening, the money back then was worth six to seven times what it's worth now. So that'd be like finding six to $7,000. I would love to find that now. You know, so yeah, I'd love to find a thousand dollars now, but you know, the thousand dollars back then was, you know, the buying power was six to $7,000 now. But now I know without a shadow of a doubt that magic's real. You know, my parents are still saying it's just movie magic that doesn't work in real life. But I could do this every day. I mean, if I did this every day and got $1,000 every time, you know, in three, in three years, I'd be a millionaire. In one year, I'd have enough money to buy a Lamborghini. My number one car that I always wanted was a Lamborghini Countach. Now, I'm thinking about it from a kid's perspective. If I had $200,000... I could buy a Lamborghini Countach. I'm not considering that there's not a Lamborghini store in my town. 
my dad is going to have to drive me to the Lamborghini store 90 miles away. I'm going to have to explain where I found $200,000. I'm also going to have to get insurance on the car. And then my dad is going to have to drive it home. And he drives like somebody's grandpa. You know, he drives 15 to 20 miles an hour every place he goes. So, you know, here we are driving a Lamborghini that can go 180 miles an hour and we're going 20. You know, I just thought everybody's going to make fun of us. How am I? But it never occurred to me, how am I going to get there and get back? I just thought if I could do the spells, I could get the money and I could get what I wanted. You know, and with my $1,000, it lasted me a long time. And I bought everything I wanted. My closet was big enough that any clothes I bought, I could put. Now, I I had to be reasonable about it. I couldn't buy a leather jacket because my parents never bought me a leather jacket. But my mom uh, gave me almost um, an endless supply of shoes. So if I bought a pair of shoes, she's not going to remember what pair she bought and what pair she didn't. So if she saw a nice pair of shoes, she'd be like, when did you get those? Uh, you bought them a year ago at Goodwill. Okay. Or maybe I bought them at Goodwill because sometimes you gave me money to go do that. Or I found shirts that I liked or pants or shorts or, you know, accessories of some kind mm -hmm. or another skateboard. And I already had skateboards. So my parents didn't ask questions or, or I had so many toys. I could just bring in other toys to be with mine and they didn't know that they hadn't bought them. Right, right. And they didn't keep up you know, with all that stuff. So then when I was 11 years old, I became the victim of a sexual assault at school at the hands of a female teacher. And she told me that it was my idea. I like to do it. Um, if I told anybody I would be expelled from school, my parents would disinherit me. I would go to prison and I would have to, when I got out of prison, I'd have to get a job and I could, couldn't go back to school. And so, you know, at 11 years old, you know, and no internet, you can't look up any of this stuff. There was no, you know, you could get a dirty magazine if you were 18. But if you're 11 years old, you can't do that. So I didn't know anything about sex. My parents hadn't told me anything by then. As a matter of fact, they never told me anything about sex. So... They had also never told me about bad touch. So I didn't know that I wasn't, this wasn't supposed to be happening and that if you did this, you're the bad guy. I didn't hear any of that, you know, and she's a teacher and she's telling me this stuff. So obviously if she's a teacher, she's telling me the truth. So I couldn't tell anybody what, what happened to me. So I just kind of withdrew further into myself. You know, I still played D and D because those people gave me comfort and I practiced magic even more because magic made me feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof. You know, it felt, made me feel like there was nothing I couldn't do. And when I was 12 years old, there was this kid when I was 10 years old that used to play D&D &D with us. He was our age. And then he kind of disappeared. He stopped going to school and he didn't go to church anymore and he didn't play D&D. &D. So we thought that he moved. When I was 12 years old, he came back and started playing D&D &D with our group again. And we asked him where he moved to and why did he move back. And he said that he'd been there the whole time, that he was homeschooled, and he just stopped hanging out with us. Now, it turned out that the kid was a satanic recruiter. 
So his job was to go out and get kids to come back to the satanic coven. But, you know, we didn't, at 12 years old, you know, you're not aware of stuff like that. So he told us about, there's this other group that plays D&D every weekend also. And they believe magic is real. Well, I know magic is real. So I'm going to go check them out. You know, at my house, we had a 26-inch console TV. Uh, how old are you? This is this is a trade secret. Let's just say I'm I'm getting up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're my age, you know what a console TV is. Okay, I, I know what that is. Okay, so there you go. Um, I had a slinky but, and stuff, and a Mr. Potato Head. Does that tell tell you anything? Yes, but Mr. Potato Heads are still made, and so are Slinkies. Yeah. Um, a console TV to the people that don't know, because I got interviewed recently, and people didn't know what that was. It looks like a piece of furniture. Right. Your TV is about three feet deep. Right. You know, like, I've got a TV up on my wall right now that's three inches deep. Right. You know, this thing is three feet deep, and it's in a wooden box that looks like a piece of furniture. And that was next to the uh, stereo console, and that was eight feet long, about two feet high, and two feet deep. And there was a big speaker at either end, a record player, mm-hmm. a radio, and an eight-track player, and then there was a container that held eight tracks and another container that held albums. You know, I explain this to some of my talks sometimes, and kids are looking at me like, I've got three heads or six mm. eyes or something. You know, I've never heard good, of any of these Good things. times, good times right there. Right, right. So, oh, like when I talk about writing with a pencil and they're like, what? <laughs> like, what, you don't use pencils anymore? And people are like, no, what's a pencil? So, I, you know, like I said, here we have, my, my house is a 26-inch console. Over there, they have a 50-inch projection screen. You know, at my house, I have Atari, and their house, they have Atari. But Atari on a 50-inch, oh, my gosh. It's like almost a religious experience. You know, playing playing Space Invaders on a screen that's as big as you are is is just amazing. You know, at my house, we could watch a G-rated movie, so we watched a lot of Disney, and a PG-rated movie if it had been vetted by my dad first. But over there, PG, R, X. Triple X, Triple X that had kids in it my age. They even had magazines that had kids in it my age, naked, having sex with each other or with adults. And all the kids watched these things. And they, you know, I thought I'd get in trouble if I was caught watching it. And they said, no, they had reel to reel. And this was like before the VCR and the beta, so a Betamax. So they had this reel-to-reel, and we could watch these movies, and it would be child pornography. And they told me that, you know, what happened to me when I was 11 years old was horrible, and that should have never happened to anybody, but now I can get my power back. Now I can have sex with anybody I want. Nobody can tell me no, and if anybody wants to do something with me and I'm not comfortable, I don't have to do it. And they told me they'd make me a movie star and they'd make me rich. Now, they never made me rich. They made me a movie star in child pornography, 
I did that from the age of 12 till about halfway through 16. At halfway through 16, I grew a mustache, so I aged out of porn. But up until then, we would have people would write in, write letters, and describe what they wanted to see, and then we would act out those scenes and do whatever they wanted. You know, and for me, being 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, I thought I was the luckiest kid in the world. I mean, when, when I first learned about sex, when they told me, you know, here's an address, well, let me give you uh, a letter. When you get there, ring the doorbell, and whoever answers the door, hand them this envelope. So I did that. And these three sisters were Satanists, and their mom was also a Satanist. So there were three sisters. Uh, they were 8, 11, and 14. So I learned about sex first with the 8-year-old, and then when I graduated, and it was like two or three weeks later, then I went to the 11-year-old, learned about sex for two or three weeks with her, and then moved on to the 14-year-old, and I had sex with her for about two weeks, and she taught me, each one of them taught me everything they knew. And when I was having sex with, with the 11-year-old, I got caught one day, the mom walked in the room, and I thought, I'm going to die. You know, like, she's going to kill me for having sex with her daughter. She came into the room and talked to both of us like it was no big deal. And then she told me that, you know, I had permission to do all this stuff and to learn whatever I could. And then told me to have fun, closed the door, and walked away. And she told me that she wasn't going to call my dad. She wasn't going to tell my parents, you know, that I, I wouldn't be in any trouble for doing any of this stuff. So by the time I finished having sex with the 14-year-old, and I remember during all this time, I'm 12 years old, she then, uh, I graduate, so now I'm in movies. You know, and I'm thinking I'm the luckiest kid in the world that I get to do all this stuff. It never occurs to me at the time that I was going through it that I'm being re-victimized every time. That, you know, everybody that's shooting these movies, they're all pedophiles. You know, they're child predators. You know, and they're watching everything I'm doing. They're sometimes participating in what I'm doing. I'm being abused by adults and, and children alike. You know, and I'm having sex with men, women, and children, not realizing that I am, I'm re-victimized every time. Um, when I was still 12 years old, this older kid came up to me one day and he said, you know you're in a satanic coven, right? And he runs away. And, you know, I thought, I laughed about it, but then after about two weeks, no one else ever said anything. And I was just kind of bothered, what if this is a satanic cult? Now, I didn't believe it on the one hand because, you know, when you watch the movies and the bad guys on the screen, creepy music plays. When my example is when, when I used to watch the old Adam West Batman, when the bad guy was on the screen, the screen was tilted because the bad guy's crooked. Mm -hmm. And then when Batman's on the screen, the screen is upright because Batman is upright and honest. You know, so I never got experiences like that. You know, and my parents were the no police. Anything I wanted to do, the answer was no. You know, there's a concert coming to town. The Moody Blues are coming. Can I go see them? No. There's a new movie coming out on Friday. Can I go see that? No. You know, after a while, you just look at my dad a certain way. No. <laughs> so anything. Right. Anything no. I wanted. You know, I said, if I wanted to eat the perfect diet, that I wanted, I should have told my parents I wanted nothing but vegetables. 
because, you know, they would have banned me from eating vegetables, and then I would have gotten to eat what I wanted to eat. So, but these guys would let me have anything. You know, they would come and tell me, hey, the Moody Blues are going to be the town. They're going to be the town uh, Saturday night. Saturday during the day, we're going to go watch this new movie that came out on Friday. You know, if you want to, at my mom's house, you could have uh, three meals a day and a snack if my mom's in a good mood. But over there, you could live on Snicker bars and potato chips and pizza every night, burgers whenever you wanted them. You know, anything you wanted, you were allowed to have. I mean, you know, what goes great after a meal, smoke a cigarette. If you want to eat a big meal, but you're afraid you won't be able to finish it, smoke a bong first, get the munchies. You know, what? what's a, a great feeling is to drop acid and go out into the woods, you know, or take ecstasy or MDMA and acid at the same time. It's called candy flipping, you know, and that became like my favorite drug of choice, you know, or to take mushrooms, you know, but you had to stay cool after you did it, you know, you could get sick. And there was just so many fun things to do with drugs and smoking and alcohol. And I was drunk a lot. You know, I would go to school in the morning and I would take a giant screwdriver with me, but it would look like orange juice. And the teachers had no idea that it was half full of vodka. No one ever decided that they would take a sip of it and see what it tasted like. But they let me drink whatever I was drinking because I came from home with a large OJ. You know, so what's the big deal? No one knew that I was hammered at school all day. So when I went to an adult that I trusted and I said, hey, you're going to laugh. I heard this was a satanic coven. Crazy, right? And he said, it is. And my heart sunk into my stomach. And I said, am, am, am I a member? No. Would you like to be? Now, see, I have a lot of people at my talks that ask me, weren't you scared being a member of a satanic coven? I mean, why would you want to stay and do that? Well, let me tell you why. Because I smoke cigarettes almost every day and you got to be 19 to buy cigarettes. I was addicted to porn. I love watching porn, looking at porn, and masturbating. And you got to be 18 years old to buy porn. I'm probably an alcoholic. you got to be 21 to buy booze. They supply me with illegal drugs every day. I don't know where to get those except in my coven. And I'm having sex at least on the weekends, but definitely, you know, some weeks every day. I'm having sex with really pretty girls and I'm being filmed for a lot of it. And if I quit this coven, all that's going to come to an end. No more drugs, no more sex, no more rock and roll. Uh, Zach? Yes. It's been pretty heavy duty so far. Why don't we go ahead and take a, take a break here and uh, take a couple of questions. Uh, I don't want to break your stream there, but I think, I think the listeners may want, want to... They've been sending in questions, so let's go ahead and include them, and then we'll come back. Can you pick it up where you left off after the questions? Sure. Okay, good. All right, here we go. Let's get to some of the questions that are coming in through the live chat. Um, uh, the first one is from Doreen. says, Zach, um, do you know who the Antichrist is? Well, I know that there's many small-A Antichrists, mm -hmm. but the, the Antichrist, no. Okay. Uh, okay, that's fine. Uh, from Smoke Seas says, uh, what is the difference between Lucifer and Satan in the satanic belief system? 
Um, if you worship Lucifer, if you're Luciferian, you're an atheistic Satanist. And usually if you're worshiping Satan, you're a theistic Satanist. Okay. All right. From Kentucky Girl, uh, Zachary, why do Satanists change everybody's gender to the opposite gender? Is that a satanic? I guess that's an assumption there, but I don't think it's too far off. But is, is that a satanic thing with all the gender changing going on? Yes, because God made man in his own image, and Satan is androgynous. So Satan is trying to make people like him instead of like God, knowing that this will hurt God. Mm. All right, here's another question then, if you get a few more in here. Are you, are, you, are you aware of the ancient Jewish practice of gematria? Do Satanists use gematria for encoding rituals, or do they use something similar? Exactly, just phone, phone went dead. Apparently the, apparently the devil doesn't want us to talk. <laughs> well, we're going to keep on talking and give the devil hell tonight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny, give the devil hell. All right, do, so do Satanists use gematria? Um, I'm unfamiliar with the term. Okay. But I know that there is, when I would go and bless music, like if it's country music or rap or heavy metal or rock and roll, whatever the the master copy is that I have to bless, sometimes when I'd be arriving, there would be a, um, one of those people call the Jewish rabbis, mm -hmm. there'd be a rabbi leaving, and he also does magic over... He blesses the um, the albums as well, but it's not for a godly blessing. It's a satanic blessing. Okay. Um, did you meet Satanists who are government officials? Lots. I, I would go to Bohemian Grove. Every year they have the cremation of care ceremony in July, but Bohemian Grove is actually open uh, four times a year, so a lot of people only know about July. It's opened in February, May, July, and October. And then if you're a billionaire, you can go there anytime. And the cremation of care ceremony is kind of, do you ever go bowling? Uh, I have, I have certainly. Okay. In the old school bowling, before electronic bowling came into being, um, bowlers used to tell the person keeping score, build me a wall. And uh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, so build me a wall, and it meant that you would, um, they're having a bad game, and you would take a pencil and draw in like a wall so that no bad luck would happen beyond that point. And so hopefully they would be bowling a better game after that. Um, the cremation of care ceremony is like that. You do a mock uh, sacrifice of a child, and that's so that that kills all the bad luck of that year, and from here on you're going to have nothing but good luck and be able to pass whatever bills you're doing or get elected or whatever it is you're wanting. Uh, Zach, this is for me. Uh, do you consider the Disney Channel like a gateway to to porn and uh, 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 child molestation? And, and uh... Well, you know, if, if you look at the um, every year or so, there's a sheriff in Florida that has sting operations where they advertise uh, teenage girls mainly that want to have sex with some older man that they find online. And it's not a teenage girl. It'll be like a sheriff's deputy. Mm -hmm. And the people they arrest, if you watch the videos on YouTube that shows this, 
It's something like a good percentage. One year it was 40% of the people they arrested were employees of Disney World. Yeah, figures. Seems like they keep getting involved with the uh, with, uh, drag queen shows and stuff like that. Uh, all right, from Rose says, uh, I've heard it's the police protect Satanists when they do the rituals. Is that true? That is true. Um, one of the rituals that I did, I was probably 12 or 13 years old, and there was a girl in a room. I wasn't shooting porn myself that day. I was just a runner. So I was just, and I kept coming into this room. That's where the reel-to-reels were, or lighting or sound equipment. And I'd been in the movies enough to know when they asked for something, what I had to go get. And so also in this room is this really young black girl that's laying on a bed, a little cot. And men keep coming into this room to have sex with her. I'm guessing, I didn't know this at the time, but they were probably paying to do this. And there's a long line of men doing it. So every time the door opens up, one of these men zips up and leaves and another man comes in and has sex with her. And, and it's just this revolving door of all these men. Well, eventually the little girl gets a break and this adult woman comes in and gives her a shot in the arm. It puts a syringe in her arm and has a tourniquet tied around it and gives her a shot and then she walks away. Now, previous to that, that little girl said something to me, but it wasn't English. I had no idea what language it was. And then these men kept going in there. The girl's eyes kind of rolled to the back of her head. And then I ran out to tell somebody, I, I think the girl's dead. There's still guys going in there to have sex with her, but I'm pretty sure she's dead. And so they came in and they verified that, yes, she had died. But even after she died, there were men still coming in there having sex with her. And then this cop shows up. He's in uh, a green uniform, so he's a deputy. And he came in and he wrapped her up in like um, a small carpet, rolled her up and threw her over his shoulder. And he said, I'll get rid of it. And he walks out the door. And then in the town I lived in, my parents got the newspaper for that town, which came out once a week. And then there was uh, a city about 60 miles east and a, a town, a city 60 miles west. And they also got those newspapers every day. So I started reading those newspapers looking for a dead girl that had been found. And I read those newspapers for at least 90 days. And I mean, I was getting very well versed in the news, but I didn't, I never read anything about her, so I don't know what happened to her. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, this has a, this kind of connected to what you've been saying. Smoke C says, why are sexual acts seemingly a big part of Satanism? Because Satan is all about destroying innocence. The younger you are, the more innocent you are. The more innocent you are, the stronger your prayers are. And, you know, the, 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 the thing that Satan doesn't want is to get his butt handed to him every day by a child. You know, he doesn't want his butt kicked every day by a child. So he wants to destroy the innocents. Plus, it hurts God when it happens. All right, Tom Jones in the U.K. says, um, for every good thing that you manifest, is there a bad thing that you have found happens to you? I'm not sure I understand the question. All right, uh, Tom Jones, if you want to rephrase that, uh, so we'll come back to that. 
what role does Satanism play with MK Ultra? Um, it is mind control, and in Satanism, there's um, a ritual called the soul shattering, and a lot of victims of SRA are victims of soul shattering, and soul shattering causes the mind to splinter, and MK Ultra is just another way of doing that. It, you're, uh, one of the things that it does is that you can program a person at a young age to do something when they're older and not be aware that they've done it. For example, shooting up a school, shooting up a mall. Usually that person dies in the, you know, in the act of what they're doing. But I almost guarantee you that when they get to heaven for judgment, they're like, I did what? When did I do that? Why am I dead? You know, what happened to me? And then they would be explained to them. Well, when you were six years old, you went through this, and this was a soul shattering or MK Ultra, and this is what happened to you. Hmm. Um, are the this is from Grumpy Old Army Vet it says Zach are the Masons a satanic cult? Yes, um, they have they have rituals that mimic some of the things they do mimic the Catholic Church. Their number one goal is the destruction of the Catholic Church. And when I would go to Bohemian Grove, it's run by the Illuminati, but the security is provided by the Freemasons. When in the Freemasons, in the early levels, you swear allegiance to Jesus. But then between that and, say, uh, level 27, um, you swear nonsensical oaths. I mean, you do, like, ritual, ritual, like, you know, you swear that you'll never reveal that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Well, everybody knows that, but you'll swear it under penalty of death or the loss of a limb. And you'll swear allegiance to, you're going to make a sandwich, and you'll swear allegiance to that sandwich, and you'll never do anything bad to that sandwich. You'll put it in a place of honor and reverence in your house. But then you follow that up with, you're going to eat the sandwich, and you notice that you don't die. You don't lose a limb. Mm-hmm. Or you'll swear allegiance to a piece of paper, and you're going to hold that paper in a in a reverent place and treat it with honor. But then you're going to write something on it, ball it up into a ball, and burn it. And everything that you swear allegiance to or you, you swear an oath to, you break because it's no big deal. By the time you get to 27, you're swearing allegiance to the devil or Lucifer, but it's no big deal because you just swore allegiance to the lawnmower and to a sandwich and to a piece of bread and to a piece of paper and oaths don't mean anything. Then when you become a 33rd degree Freemason, you curse your family from you forward. So your brother and sister and mom and dad are safe because they're either parallel to you or behind you, but your children and grandchildren have a curse. Yep. And a lot of people sometimes notice that after X number of generations have gone past and their great-grandfather was a 33rd-degree Freemason, that every fifth daughter gets an abortion or every third son commits suicide. And they realize after a while, you know, it takes a while for the pattern to emerge, but you notice after a while that you have a family curse and there has to be some deliverance done. Hmm. 
All right. And then um, here's a, we get this question. We'll finish this and get back to the story. Uh, have you witnessed somebody being demonically possessed and did that person levitate or speak in demonic voices? Um, I have done, I have witnessed all of that. I used to levitate as a high wizard. Um, a woman called me from Los Angeles and she started screaming at me and I mean, I'll, I'll cut to the chase of the story. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happened, but I called an exorcist to see if he could do exorcism on her. And he said, what made you think she's possessed? And I said, she was screaming at me with three different messages at the same time in three different voices. And he was like, okay, that's a sign of possession. So he did, he did perform exorcism on her. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you everyone for your questions right there. And by the way, uh, uh, Zach, I, I know now you're, you're, uh, you're blind, correct? Yes. Okay. On our, on our website, I don't know if somebody told you, but we have a couple polls that are related to tonight's show. Uh, the first question, poll question is, do you know some, or, do you know somebody who has a demon? And the results of that is uh, 80 or 52% of respondents say, yes, definitely know somebody with a demon. And then 11% uh, says several people. Now, 11% also said there's no such thing as a demon. The second poll question, uh, who most likely needs exorcism? And their choices are Joy, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, George Soros, the entire city of New York City, Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> <laughs> the entire city, uh, Pete Buttigieg or Gig or whatever his name is, Butt Gig, whatever, or, or drag queens. And look at that. George Soros comes out as the number one person that needs an exorcism at 45%, Pelosi at 27%. Uh, New York City, the whole city of New York at 9% say that they the whole city needs an exorcism. All right, so back to, back to your story. See if you can pick it up where you left off. Well, uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, answer the, the 11% that don't believe demons are real. Okay, sure, go ahead. What, what, what else in the Bible don't you believe in? I mean that's a question back to those back to that eleven percent because I mean if you don't believe in that then does that mean angels aren't real either? If angels aren't real, does that mean God's not real? Is Satan not real? Is hell not really there? Is heaven not really there? Did all those things in history not happen? Did Jesus really not die on the cross? And you've opened up a whole can of worms with you know demons not being real. <laughs> wow, that was a pretty pretty good comeback. And it seems like a lot of people want to believe in angels, but they don't they don't want to, they don't want to mess with the you know they want to believe there's a negative side either. Listen, it, when when it comes to Satan, this is my advice to you: never be afraid of the biggest idiot in the room. No matter who's in that room, if Satan's in that room, he's the biggest idiot. Wow, he was in heaven. He saw everything. He knew things were going to go the way they were going to go. And he decided that he was a bigger man than God. Now, what, to put that in perspective, the cabinet thought he was a bigger deal than the cabinet maker. The cabinet would not exist if it wasn't for the cabinet maker. Hmm. Pretty good apologetics right there, Zach. So, I ask what is needed for me to be a Satanist? Because I don't want to lose everything that I've just realized that I've gained. I've, I can do anything I want. I can have anything I want. And my parents are telling me no for everything. As a matter of fact, that's how I saw God in the Bible. 
the Bible is a whole list of thou shalt nots, is what you're not allowed to do. You know, my dad said, you know, if you don't see it in there, you're allowed to do it. Well, so far, the only thing I'm allowed to do is breathe, you know, a breathe and die. So great. Thanks, God. So, you know, and my parents are the same way. Everything is no. But Satan says, yes. Why is he the bad guy? He lets me do everything I want. So I asked, what do I need to do to become a Satanist? I said, well, there's 13 steps involved in becoming a Satanist, and you've done almost all of them already. All you have left to do, you have to slice your left thumb and bleed onto a document. It's a five-page document, and you have to sign it in three places. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin, but not mine. And I signed that. Jesus died for everybody, but not me. And I signed that. And on the fifth page of the document, I agree to sell my soul to the devil. Now, when I'm at my talks, I usually have somebody that's sitting right beside me because I ask the audience questions and then they tell me how many people are answering. And at this point in my talk, I say, how many people believe you can sell your soul to the devil? And we usually get a fair number of people that say yes. And then I ask the person sitting next to me what kind of car they drive. And whatever I is, I ask the audience, how many people can legally sell me this person's car? And nobody says they can. And why not? Because it doesn't belong to us. That's the same reason you can't sell your soul. God died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. You don't own it. You can't loan it, you can't lease it, and you certainly can't sell it. Now, you might have heard, Satan's a liar. I'm here to confirm. If the devil tells you good morning, get a second opinion. Right. But being 13 years old, when I signed this document, you're not the sharpest tack. You know, you think that you have all the answers and you really don't have anything. And... So I signed this paper in all these places. Then I had to go to a meeting, a coven meeting, and most of the members of my coven were there. And there was between 120 and 150 members at any given time, which to me was huge. We, most of the, the covens in the surrounding areas were 13 members or less. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having 150 members, we were gigantic. And... So I showed up, I'm wearing a white robe, and I get baptized into a big vat of human blood, pig's blood, and human urine. Full submersion. You come up out of that, go into a room and take a shower, come out in a black robe with the cow raised, signifying you've been baptized into a world of darkness. You sit in a chair, and you're given a crucifix inside of a wheel. And they read the document, and then they show where that you signed, and then I show them my thumb to show them that it was my thumb that I sliced open. And then I spin the crucifix upside down, signifying human sacrifice, and then I break the arms downward, denouncing Christ. And then we have this big party celebrating that I'm now Satanist. But the reality is we're celebrating that one day I'm going to die and go to hell. And then they put the document in with the crucifix, and they say that goes into a vault, and it stays there where my soul is forever tied to that. And then when I die, of course, it, that gets destroyed, and 
I go to hell. So when I first joined the coven, you're in a white robe because you're just an initiate. And then when you join, most of the people get a black robe with a red inverted pentagram because they're a Satanist. But the robe I wanted was a red robe with a black inverted pentagram. And that's the person that does the magic for the coven. Well, I was consumed by magic. I did magic every day. I loved magic. My magic almost always worked. It may not have worked exactly to the extent I wanted it, but it still worked. I mean, I might have done a spell for a million dollars and I got a thousand, but I still got a thousand dollars. Or I might have spent a spell for a thousand and got a hundred. Well, it's not the thousand I asked for, but everything I want is still dirt cheap, and I appreciated the hundred dollars. So, when I was 14 years old, one of the guys came to me and he said, hey, we're going to have a, um, a sex party with all the male members between 12 and 15 and a female, so it'll be 19. And the purpose is to get her pregnant. And I was like, all right, why are we doing that? And he said, because eight or nine months later, you're going to do an abortion. And I said, Cool. And I went home and I looked up the word abortion in the dictionary. And my dictionary was so old, it didn't have the word abortion in it. So I went to the library and I found two books about abortion, but both books were about two inches thick. And I'm not going to read that. I got through school on cliff notes. So I went back to the coven and I went up to another adult that I trusted and I said, hey, I've heard that I've got to commit an abortion but I, I don't know what that means. And he says, oh, you're killing a baby in the womb. <laughs> I was like, is that legal? He goes, yeah, in the womb, legal, out of the womb, murder. So they had me practice for about eight months with a ball of Play-Doh or an orange or an apple and a scalpel. Now I was taught that all I had to do was get blood on my hands. It didn't matter if it was the babies or the mothers, but... I'm doing, I'm going to do a hex and in a hex, you have to do an abortion and it pretty much believe that if you give the devil what he wants, he'll give you what you want. And what he wants is destruction of innocence. And the number one most innocent thing is a baby in the womb. So I practiced, I didn't practice much. I didn't really know what I was doing, you know, taking a cap and stabbing a ball of Play-Doh, you know, but I didn't know, you know, what, what, what am I really doing? And then about eight months later, it was about three months before I turned 15, you know, and in my talks, a lot of times I'll mention that there was a priest a few years ago that told me that my talk was age appropriate for 15 and older. And my problem with that is by the time I was 15, I smoked every day. I took drugs every day. I was an alcoholic. I smoked weed every day. Uh, I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to masturbation. I was in child pornography. And I'd broken all Ten Commandments, including murder. And now I'm old enough to hear my own talk. You know, I'm not saying you got to make them listen to this talk or this interview, but you could listen to it as an adult and then put it in words you know your child would understand. They've got to have a warning. 
You know, if you don't know who the enemy is, how can you fight him? And the younger the child, the more powerful the prayers. So I forgot where I was. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> remind sorry. me. Get me started again. Uh, well, you see, you were, uh, <laughs> I don't know, sex parties and things. You're going to do abortion. You're going to get a girl pregnant, oh, and then you're going to kill her. Right. Yeah. So, so we got the girl pregnant three months before I turned 15. We did the abortion. It was a late-term abortion. I'll spare your listeners, but they can check YouTube. There's a video on there. It's pretty horrific. It might have been removed by now, but it, it describes how a late-term abortion is done. Uh, to put it in a nutshell, but try not to be too graphic, they deliver the entire body but not the head, and then they... Um, do something that allows them to suck the brains out of the baby. And then they used uh, these things that look like uh, tongs with teeth, and they tore the baby apart and threw it to the women that were on the floor, and they consumed, they cannibalized the baby. And we had um, a bunch of women on the floor that then had a, an orgy after that. We also had men there that were uh, praying and chanting against police finding us or praying against churches that might be praying against us. And at the time of the abortion, that's when I really felt 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I felt invincible, like nothing could happen to me. And I, I was like, I didn't have any blood left in my body. It felt like it was all adrenaline and my legs were like rubber and I just thought that was the most amazing thing in the world. And um, so I did a couple of more of those. And then, you know, I graduated from high school and I was going off to college. And, you know, I was thinking, how am I going to find uh, a satanic coven when I go to college? And this is before the Internet. They're not going to advertise it in the town square. Now, I did find out that if you bought Swingers magazines that, that were local, that they advertised in the back of those, you know? So I was like, all right, well, I don't really want to go into a sex store, you know, and buy sex magazines and have everybody in there see me, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for sex stuff. I'm looking for a satanic coven, but they don't know why I'm in there. They think I'm in there for sex, you know, or, or to buy, you know, pleasure magazines or whatever, you know? So I don't really want to go that route. Well, I found the satanic coven because they advertised it in the town square. You know, we had the, the Catholic and the Baptist student union, the Republican and the Democrat student union and the satanic and the Wiccan student union. And I attended a couple of those meetings and found out this was kids away from home for the first time and with no adult supervision. And they thought Satan with Satanism was all about getting drunk getting stoned and having sex. Well, I've been doing this since I was 12. I don't need a satanic coven for that. And, you know, these guys like are like making up magic spells on the spot. Well, that's not real magic. You know, it's like I twirl three times in a circle and drink a beer, and poof, this works. It's like, really? So I called my first coven back, and I said, I read a book when I was at the library, and it talked about a coven that was out there to rule the world. And it said something about the Illuminati and something about Bohemian Grove. 
I don't know if any of that stuff is real or if it exists, but where is that coming? And they told me the name of it was Satan's World Church or World Church of Satan. And that they can give me an address and I can go check them out and see what I think. And that they are indeed out there to rule the world. So I got the address and I went to this building that was about the size of a super Walmart. Except back then, I don't think we had super Walmarts. So this is giant warehouse. And I go inside and it's like you're partying with 10,000 people. Now, let's go back to me being 13. I was at a sleepover and I was at a, was a satanic sleepover. And I got up at like three o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom and get a drink of water. And I saw this guy. He looked like a member of Kiss wearing a tuxedo. And he had a wand. And I was looking at him. I couldn't take my eyes off of him. And he made eye contact with me and he winked at me. And he kept going. So I went to the bathroom, got my drink of water, went to bed. Next day I was like, hey, I saw this guy in here last night. Who was that? And they're like, you dreamed that. That didn't happen. Okay, so my Baptist preacher lies to me, my parents lie to me, and now my satanic coven is lying to me. No big deal. I'll just store that in the back of my head, and one day I'll see it, and I'll find out. So one day happened when I was 18 years old at this party, and I saw similar look. Not the same guy, but he's wearing a tuxedo, top hat, has a wand, has corpse paint on his face. Now, if you want to know what that look looks like, because I know describing it doesn't do it justice. There's an artist named Pink, and she has a song called Like a Pill. Go on YouTube and look that up. And she has a high wizard that appears in her video four times. The third and fourth time, he's doing a magic spell. Now, he's also, if you Google search it, there's a picture of Pink on the red carpet standing next to a high wizard. So it's apparently somebody she knows, not just in the video, but in real life. So there's this guy walking by, and I just grabbed somebody next to me. I said, who is that? What is that? How can I do that? And he said, well, who, who ran your coven? And I said, we had a huge coven. We had 120 to 150 members at any given time, and we were run by 13 high priests and priestesses. And he goes, okay, well, we have 1.1 million members worldwide, and we're run by a CEO and board of directors. And that guy is called the High Wizard, and he does the official magic of the coven. And I said, well, I did the official magic of my coven. We wore a red robe. And he, I said, how do I do that? I have no idea. I, they, they told me that they thought that the high wizard was handpicked by Satan himself. <clears throat> but they didn't know how else, what, what, what's the other um, criteria to be picked. So I thought, okay, if I've got to be handpicked by Satan, I need to get the devil's attention. What is the best way to do that? Well, I know that, you know, when I did the first abortion, it was an assisted abortion, and the mayor was trying to pass a law that couldn't get passed no matter how he tried. So he asked my coven, can we do a hex for it? And in a hex, an abortion has to take place. 
And as soon as we did the abortion, it was pretty much that same week or the next week, what he was trying to get passed got passed. So we gave the devil what he wanted. The devil gave us what we wanted. So if I'm giving the devil what he wants, maybe I can be the high wizard. So I started contacting the people that do abortions and let them know that I'm trained in this. I know what to do. I know how to do the hex that goes with that. I know how to get blood on my hands. You know, can I participate with you guys? So I got in with the circle that did that, and I did about five more abortions. So I'd done six abortions at this point, and I was 20 years old, and I got a notice that I was being called before the CEO and board of directors. Now, it's also well known in the coven that a lot of people that go in and do these, um, go before the CEO and board of directors, they're never seen or heard from again. So I don't know if that means that they die or do you go to a different part of the world? I don't know what's happening. And I lived in Florida at the time. And in Florida, there's a two week cooling off period to buy a handgun. So I had plenty of time. I bought a nine millimeter Sig Sauer and I bought about 12 clips and enough bullets to fill them all. Cause I thought if you're going to kill me, I ain't going out like no sucker. So I'm going to shoot back. So I showed up at this meeting and I'm, I'm loaded for bear and they bring me into this room and there's a, a black curtain on the wall and they set me down and then they pull the curtain back and there's about nine different costumes of the high wizard look, none of them quite the same. And then there's these photos that are 12 by 12 or no, 24 by 24 that are different looks of corpse paint on the face. I mean, you can use whatever design you want, you know, but these are just ideas for you. And then they gave me this handbook and they announced that I'm going to be the next high wizard. And the book is the high wizard handbook. It's light blue in color. And it just has a, a, a drawing on the front of it, of a high wizard. And I opened the cover and the first thing I read was nobody can tell you what to do. And I thought, this is the job for me. No one can tell me what to do. I can do anything I want. And no one can stop me. No one can corral me into this little... No one can pigeonhole me. Mm -hmm. No one can tell me anything. And so doing that job, I found out when you're, the, when you're first chosen to be the High Wizard, they usually choose them all in July so that then they can have that person go to Bohemian Grove Hey, for the first cremation hey, of care. Hey, hey, Zach, let me say, we've got about 25 more minutes left. Now, uh, that's kind of the dark side, and I hate to speed through it, but we've got to get kind of to the light side, give people some hope here. So can we transition somehow to where you get it into, you you get born again, or you meet God, or you, you, know, you know what I'm saying, can we get to that positive part before we run out of time? Okay. Well, I mean, I can skip over everything dark that I did. Um, I yeah, can. Yeah, we got plenty of darkness going. We got plenty of darkness on the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, Whoa. I'll put it all into a nutshell. I um, totally, I did 
I split 120 churches, and I totally committed 146 assisted abortions. I helped make about 1,200 rock stars in 12 years as a high wizard. I worked with the Illuminati. Uh, I went to Bohemian Grove 18 times. Um, uh, and the rock stars, you know, I, as I said, I helped them sell their soul to the Illuminati to become a rock star. Pretty much if they were famous between 87 and 99, and they were not previously famous, I signed their deal for them to, and that's rock stars, rap stars, uh, reggae, um, country music. There's no genre that's safe. But now these so, people, you, you, they didn't sell their soul to the devil. Is that what you're saying? They thought they did. But they can't. Well, they can't, but they don't know that. What they've done is that they've given the will to the devil. You know, for, for you to be free from that, you just have to give your will back to God. So I eventually escaped from Satanism. That's organized Satanism. I was still, I was still doing magic. I escaped from Satan, organized Satanism in uh, March of 1999. And, but I was, like I said, addicted to magic. And then I, I managed to, eventually I moved to, I had moved to Oklahoma and then I moved to Burlington, Vermont. Burlington, Vermont is the least religious place in the nation. And by least religious, they mean least Christian. So I was, um, I was still practicing magic, and like in Oklahoma, it's the belt buckle of the Bible belt. You don't dare practice magic there. But in Burlington, you can practice magic out in the open. You can wear your magic robes out in the open. No one cares. So I was doing that, and you know, I managed to get a job first at Nectar's as uh, head of security, then Kiki um, Moon as head of security, and then general manager. And then from that, I went to finish line, where I was general, where I was manager in training, and then Sunglass Hut as the general manager, and then Piercing Pagoda as the general manager. And one night, I did a magic spell. The next day, I went to work, and this woman came up, and she wanted to buy a pair of gold hoop earrings, and I presented what I thought was the perfect pair, and then she said, well, you know, actually, I'm shopping with my daughter, and... I'm going to finish shopping with her, and when I'm done, I'll come back. And most women that say that mean I'm going to go find it cheaper someplace else. But she had an honest face. I knew she was coming back. And sure enough, three hours later, she came back. And we did the transaction. At the end of the transaction, I said, if you call the 800 number on this receipt and take a survey, you might win $1,000. And she says, that's great. I've got something for you, too. And she reaches in her purse, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. She's going to pull out a jack shit pamphlet, tell me that I'm sinning and that uh, I have to do all this stuff and worship God. And I can't do any of this because I sold my soul to the devil when I was 13, when I was 13. But instead she pulled out this little gold colored piece of tin. And then she says the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Now remember that I partied with rock stars. You give somebody that can write a poem or a song, unlimited drugs and alcohol, and they can say some strange stuff. You know, anybody that doubts that, turn on the radio to a top 40 station and just listen to what they say. I mean, the, the example I give is Kid Rock. Bawa Taba made him a rock god. And 
you know, that's the, 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 that was his number one song he ever did. It was number one for the year. But the chorus to the song is, bow to bow to dang to dang diggy diggy up jumps the boogie. I'm like, that is the silliest song in the world. Right. It's like, everybody <clears throat> laughs, but it's like, we don't have a room to laugh. We all made that song number one. What she said was crazier than that. She said, the blessed mother is calling you into her army. And I thought, blessed mother. Isis, Gaia, I have no idea who the Blessed Mother is. And then she says it's very powerful. Well, Protestants don't bless anything, so, you know, she represents some female deity cult. I'm not interested. But, yeah, you know, I don't want to offend her. She bought my gold. You know, I have her money. She has my gold. This was a win-win. I just kind of tune her out, and I'm, I go to my happy place, and I'm just thinking of whatever I'm thinking of. And then after about 10 minutes, I guess, I tune her back in because she's still standing in front of me and still talking. And she says again, it's very powerful. Mm -mm. No, I used to be the high wizard. Now, that number could be, it's usually between two and five high wizards in the world, but that number could be as low as one or as high as 10. So I could have been the one high wizard in the world of 7 billion people. That's a power trip and a half. And people are coming to me for these magic spells, and you're trying to tell me that this blessed miraculous metal, but I don't know that's what it is, is powerful? Mm -hmm. I'm going to take it in my hand, and I'm going to feel that it's got nothing, and then I'm going to toss it on the floor or slam it on my counter, and I'm going to tell you how worthless it is. And if you get offended, I don't care. And if you want to return your gold and get your money back, I don't care. And if you want to call my boss, you want to call the regional manager and complain. She's never going to believe I was rude to you. I make my days, my weeks, my months, my quarters, and my year. I've got the best customer service in this region. I sell more than anybody else. No other store does as good as my store. You know, all my employees love me. No one's going to believe that I was rude to anybody but I am going to be rude to this woman. So I stick my hand out and she drops this miraculous metal in my hand and I clench my fist around it, all ready to tell her these things. Except when I clench my fist around it, my store and my mall completely disappeared. I'm standing in a darkened void and it's me and the woman that gave me the metal, Marianne Wickman, and she starts telling me about the magic spell I did last night, and that's of the devil. And you've split over 100 churches, and that's of the devil. And you've done over 100 abortions, and that's of the devil. And she tells me about eight or nine other sins, and she ends all of them with, and that's of the devil. And I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. I originally was going to attack her with magic, but... Her magic is more powerful than mine. I mean, I could have been the only one high wizard out of 7 billion people, and I did not have the magical ability to hand somebody a gold-colored, worthless piece of tin, transport both of us to a darkened void, and know all their sins. Her magic is stronger than mine. And then she said again, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And instantly, 
I knew that was the mother of God, which is a very strange revelation for a former Baptist to say. I mean, a former Baptist would rather shoot themselves in the face with a shotgun than say mother of God. And when I realized it was the mother of God, Mary showed up and she smiled. And it was a smile I knew I did not deserve. I was acutely aware of my 146 assisted abortions. And she took me by the hand and she turned me around. And Divine Mercy Jesus was standing behind me. I didn't know what Divine Mercy was. I just knew that Jesus is standing behind me and I've got these rays of light that are shooting above me and under me and around me and through me. And I knew in that instant, I had not sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. I knew that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew that all my magic, my occult, my Satanism, and my new age was false. And I knew everything Catholic was truth. And the Blessed Mother told me that my job was to help her end abortion. And then I opened my hands and I was back in my store back in my mall. This woman, Marianne Wickman, is still talking to me. She tells me where she goes to Mass and gives me the address. And her daughter comes up to the counter and she says, can you bring this man one of each of everything? And so her daughter runs outside. While she's talking to me, she tells me that she is Father Joseph Whalen's personal assistant in the St. Raphael Healing Oil Ministry. And that he's so busy, he doesn't even have time to talk to her. And she's the personal assistant. And while she's talking to me, her phone rings. And she looks at it. She goes, this is Father Joe. I've got to take it. I'm like, yeah, you just explained all that. Go ahead. So when she answered the phone, Father Joe at that time was going deaf. So he talked like everybody else was going deaf. And she says, hello, Father Joe. What can I help you with? Can you hand the phone to the young man you're talking to? She's like, sure, Father Joe. So she hands me the phone. I'm shaking like Ozzy Osbourne. I'm like, hello? Welcome to the faith. Hand the phone back to Marianne. Hand the phone back to Marianne. He hangs up on her. Then we get two more phone calls like that. Then her daughter comes back in with a paper grocery bag filled with why do Catholics do this or believe that, a Catholic Bible, and like 125 Lighthouse Catholic media discs. And then when I left the mall that day, I went home. Me and my wife had gotten married in October, and she had grown up Jehovah's Witness and then she got disfellowship from the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I walked in the door and I was like, hey, honey, guess what? I'm Catholic now. Hey, Zach, is, is that why you wrote the book, Abortion, a Satanic Sacrifice? Um, I wrote that book because um, yeah, the Blessed Mother told me that. And then I was going to adoration uh, every day, pretty much, mm -hmm. anywhere from 30 minutes to 18 hours a day. Mm -hmm. so, and one of the days I was in there, I told Jesus that, I said, you know, your your mom told me that I was supposed to help her end abortion, but I don't know how. So he told me to wait a minute. So I waited a minute, and Mary showed up, and she said, use what you know. And she was gone. Mm -hmm. Well, what I know is that abortion is a satanic sacrifice. So what I know is in that book. You know, and in that book, I tell you how to shut down an abortion clinic. Mm hmm I also, there's some things that I say in the book that are not in the CD set. Um, like in the book, I say that how we fight abortion in this country is Einstein's definition of insanity. Mm -hmm. You know, Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You know, we send 
300,000 people to march every year at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., and it doesn't work. So the next year we send another 300,000, but it doesn't work, so we send another 300,000, and it doesn't work, so we send another 300,000. You know, in the last couple of years, we've been sending between 600,000 and a million, but it doesn't ever work. It has never worked, yet we keep doing it. So I give four ideas that do work, and they've shut down. We've shut down 49 abortion clinics around the world doing our methods mm-hmm. uh, and now, we give examples where everything has worked now, now do you, you know and yet okay. and yet we still have people that don't do them and it's like it boggles the mind i give you the formula for how to do it and you say that's nice and then you go back out to washington and march again because hmm. that doesn't do, do anything now now zach do, have you performed exorcisms no i'm no, we're not allowed to perform an exorcism. Okay. I go to exorcism and I participate. I usually pray a rosary while I'm in there. Mm-hmm. And then I watch what's happening. I watch what the demon claims. And then when we take a break, I tell, I give them my advice, what I think is happening. You know, it, usually the demon's a liar. Most demons claim to be Satan and they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, why is it that, uh, I know she talked about the mar- March for Life. Uh, it does seem that the one of the main uh, signature uh, things of the Catholics is anti-abortion, and so, but it seems like every politician, I mean, almost every single one of them is Catholic, and I don't understand so why it is that they always seem to uh, go after abortion so much, but say your evangelicals don't evangelicals don't tend to do so much. We have um, most Catholics that are pro-aborts are either bad Catholics or are like Catholic in name only. Mm-hmm. And my favorite, one of my favorite terms is that they're cafeteria Catholics. You know, like they, they'll, they'll take the dessert and, and the fruit, but they don't want the meat mm-hmm. or the potatoes or the salad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so they don't want to hear the Gregorian chant in, in the church, and they want to hear that everybody goes to heaven. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear about hell. They don't want to hear abortion from the pulpit because now you're getting political. You know they don't see it as a moral issue. Mm-hmm. So now you know, uh, it's like they, they don't they don't realize that when you vote for a pro-abortion candidate and you get to judgment day for yourself, you're responsible for everything that the abortion can- friendly candidate did. Mm-hmm. So if he's responsible for a million abortions. You're, that's the, that that stain of that is going to be on your soul too. So, um, was there a time you say you was raised in the Baptist church? So, was there a time when you uh, uh, sort of accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? How how did how did that work for you? Um, I was really. I thought I was really Christian until I was about 10. And then when I was 11, my dad thought I should get baptized, so I did. But, you know, that same year, I was also sexually assaulted, and God didn't seem to be there for me. And, you know, I was practicing magic, and God never stopped any of that from happening. And when I noticed when I was 12 and I was going to the Baptist church that every single Bible verse had to do with giving money. 
right now. And I'm not counting the tithing part. I'm not counting when they when they do the offertory. I'm saying every single Bible verse had to do with donating money to the Baptist okay, church. So, Zach, am I detecting um, uh, a little bit of uh, spiritual angst against the church? Only against the Baptist church. I didn't go to any other church at that time. So do you still I mean, hold, is, when, or is that was, sort of like a grudge? It sounds like you got a little grudge kind of going there. Is that, is, have you ever, do you still have it? It seems like it's coming through a little bit. Well, I got to hear every single, I told my dad at some point, I said, dad, that entire book couldn't be about giving money to the Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I mean, here's an example. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Baptist preacher told us Jesus wept because Jesus saw the future state of the Baptist church and saw that we didn't donate enough money. Mm-hmm. Every single verse. And I don't care if it was old Testament or new Testament. It had to do with money mm-hmm. and the Baptist church. Right. And they're, and they're probably, so, they probably weren't going out and protesting abortions either. Um, I don't know if we were or not that I never heard anything about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in our town, we didn't have an abortion clinic. Okay. But let, let's get back. Let's get back to your relationship with Jesus. How, how did you, how did that start? Um, going to adoration every day from 30 minutes to 18 hours a day, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ is right there. You can't sit in front of Jesus 18 hours a day and not change. I mean, I went through all my sins. I, I had already had my life confession, so I had confessed to everything that I had done and got absolution. I mean, as a Protestant, you have one way of getting into a state of grace but once you commit that first sin, you don't have another way to get back into that state of grace. As a Catholic, we can go to confession as often as we want. Every time we go, we get into a state of grace, as long as we are truly contrite mm-hmm. and are sorry for our sins. Mm-hmm. The Bible does say, though, confess your sins one to another, that you both may be healed. So that sounds like a way. Well, you have to do it through apostolic succession. Our priests and our bishops and our pope have apostolic succession from the first apostles. They do. They do. Well, know your history, know your history, my good sir. I guess I, I guess I haven't studied up on that. I'm not. I'm not sure about. I'm not. I'm not a not an expert by any means in that in that uh, genre. But okay, so you got absolution, and do you kind of. It sounds like uh, sort of us, like through osmosis, standing or being in this place 18 hours a day, you have sort of absorbed uh, a relationship with Jesus. You he became real to you, and you internalized him as a as a as a person and a God, a redeemer of your soul. It is a fantastic place to be. I mean, the the greatest gifts that Jesus left us was the Eucharist, which is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus held the first mass, it's in the Bible, and then um, confession, which allows us to get into a state of grace as often as we can, because you got to die in a state of grace to make it to heaven, or at least purgatory, and um, Mary, mm-hmm. when he gave us Mary on the cross. So to you, is Jesus the Christ? Well, you know, his name is Jesus Christ. Of course he's the Christ. He's the Redeemer. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is equal to God. 
All right. Him, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all equal. Okay. All right. Well, we're getting near the end of the broadcast. I wonder how we can wrap this up. What uh, how, What can you finish this up with there, Zach? Um, I want to leave you with, I want to go back to you cannot sell what you don't own. Mm-hmm. So if there's a Satanist listening to this and they think that uh, they can't be saved because they sold their soul to the devil. What you did is that you gave your will to the devil. All you've got to do is give your will back to God. In the Catholic Church, you've got to go to confession, confess your sins. Once you're put back in a state of grace, you might need a deliverance, but you know, at the very least, you need to go to confession. That puts you back into a state of grace. Just one final thought, and thank you for that, Zach. And one final thought. Now, have you forgiven the Baptist Church and your parents? Yes, a long time ago. Good. That, that's that's excellent. I think unforgiveness can really cause us damage. It sounds like uh, you're you're completely really aware can. of that. All right. Well, so we've had in the background, we've had your book, uh, screenshots of your book, uh, Abortion, Satanic uh, Sacrifice. We're going to get that. Uh, you can either go to All Saints ministry.org or you can get it on Amazon all right Zachary King I appreciate you coming on the show and we're we're going to let you go my friend thanks for having me you betcha thank you so much all right God bless you guys you do bye bye